Welcome to SLP Full Disclosure, the podcast for SLPs by SLPs, where we deep dive into a variety of topics to empower, educate, and entertain. Join us each episode to hear from expert guests and topics that matter most. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and let's jump into this episode. Hello, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I'm one of your hosts, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my co-host, Alyssa Hunter. Hello. So as you all are probably aware, we have gone through a bit of a pandemic situation, and that is why you have not heard from us in a while, because we have not been able to work in our office or be near our studio where we record our podcast. However, we were missing it very much and missing you all, and so we are going to do a virtual recording of our podcast this week, and we have a wonderful guest that is joining us that is going to be talking about teletherapy, which is a subject that we are all wanting to know more about right now at the moment. So please, we would love to welcome our guest, Leanne Sherrod. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Leanne. We really appreciate your willingness to do this and to join us virtually. We are very excited to learn more about you and about all of your work with teletherapy, as we know that that's what many therapists who did not ever sign up to be teletherapists and now are. And so they're very interested in learning as much as they can about providing therapy via this medium. Yeah. So why don't we, just to get to know you a little bit better, I know that you've been a teletherapist for quite some time. Give us a little bit about information about your background and then just what led you into the world of teletherapy. Absolutely. So I got started as a speech language pathologist in the early intervention program in Chicago, Illinois, after I finished my graduate program. And that was a very lone wolf type of way to begin. Um, I, I really loved having the chance to super early on in my career grow the skill set of um, parent involvement and building communication skills for kids in their natural environments. When I when I moved to Texas, I switched out of home health and began working at a pediatric outpatient clinic where I also did some contract work for them for a nearby tiny, tiny little school district. Um, and then after a while there, I transitioned back to home health, I think because I missed it. And across all those settings, you know, I, I think I felt what a lot of speech pathologists feel, which is some frustration of just being able to do what we believe is best for the patient and the families due to, you know, <laughs> any sort of stumbling blocks, bureaucracy, red tape, jumping through constant insurance hoops and I always knew that one day I wanted to start my own practice. I would come home and talk about it just all the time. Like when I have my own practice, I'm going to do this. <laughs> um, and the moment I guess came a little bit sooner than I would have thought just because my, myself and my husband and two of our colleagues came up with the idea of founding a telepractice company. Um, that's mission was really to look at the parts of the field that we felt we're a little bit broken, maybe not broken, but we're just a little bit, a little bit busted <laughs> and, and then leverage teletherapy to try to build a practice that was just 
that worked better for the clients and the SLPs. So we built Expressible and that's, that's where I am today, practicing teletherapy. Wow. That is very cool. And I love hearing your journey too, of going through some different settings because something that we often find about our super wonderful, successful SLPs that we interview is that they have gone through a lot of different settings and experiences to end up where they are today. And so I love how you kind of took all of those different things that you learned and created a practice out of it. And so that's really wonderful. And something that I'm hearing you mention a lot is really this idea of gaining those skill sets of parent involvement and relating that back to, you know, patient progress. And that's really what we want to focus on today because as a large portion of our field enters telepractice, it's a whole new opportunity to interact with the parent while the child is at home. And so throughout your time in these different roles, how has the parent caregiver involvement evolved in these different settings? When I when I started out as a clinical fellow, I'll say I was off the bat really passionate about caregiver involvement uh, because I had a really amazing professor at Northwestern University, Dr. Megan Roberts. So shout out to her. Um, She put such an emphasis on the research behind the approach to parent coaching and um, really how powerful it, it was shown to be. But I'll say when I was starting out, even though I was really passionate, I felt intimidated because I I was pretty young. I went straight from undergrad to graduate school. So it it felt a little challenging to go into a family's house as just like a 22-year-old with with no children of my own yet and give guidance to them. Um, And so as my as my clinical fellowship continued, I what I realized was I had gone, you know, to a lot of schooling to become an expert in the subject and the expertise that I needed to combine with the expertise that they had, that the families had on their own child was what was really important. But when I went to the outpatient clinic, I would say that I'll admit it became kind of easy to become complacent about caregiver involvement because the model there was still very much kind of that pick the kid up at the lobby, go back to the therapy room or go to the therapy gym and do your work and then drop them back off and talk to the parent for what, maybe three minutes in the, in the lobby or back in the therapy room. And I, I think I would have these waves of inspiration for certain kiddos like, oh, I need to get this parent in the room with us. And I, I would do that for certain kiddos. But I think I noticed that I only tended to do that with cases where I felt super confident, like early language development. That was my area of, um, you know, the part that I, that I felt the most confident about. And so in other instances, again, it felt, it still felt a little intimidating to involve parents if I was still in a place where I felt like I was skill building. And I look back on, I look back on that and kind of cringe because it, it, when I reflect, it feels like a waste, you know, some wasted opportunities because I wasn't involving parents where I could have been. Um, and getting back into home health, I really tried to refocus on that and kind of recenter myself on caregiver involvement. Um, and home health, I mean, obviously is a natural place to do that going in, going into their houses and having 
um, either parents or even if it's a caregiver, if it's a nurse or, um, you know, a nanny, they're still with ki- with the kiddos a lot of the time. So they're valuable people to kind of be sharing resources with as well. Um, and it, the one spot in home health, it can be tough. I know what I was doing as well was going in for daycare visits. Um, and so that's an added challenge, trying to spend some of that indirect time keeping in touch with parents and making sure that they're still in the loop, even if you're not seeing them in person. Um, and so now in my role as a teletherapist, I I actually really view it as a fantastic forcing function in a lot of ways, because parents in, in some cases are the main facilitator of the intervention, just guided by the therapist. So with older kids who are working more independently, we're able to, you know, share resources digitally, keep papers from getting lost in an endless pile. Um, so similar, and then for the younger kiddos, you know, we're doing, who, who aren't working independently, we're doing almost entirely like a parent coaching model where they are there a hundred percent of the time with the kiddo, not only watching you do some interaction and do some cueing and modeling, but then having to turn around and try it out themselves with your guidance and feedback. Um, so I think similar to home health, we get to take advantage of the fact that we're we're on their turf, turf, and so they can feel really comfortable um, because we're coming to them in telepractice at their in their home. I cannot tell you how many. So Leanne, as you're talking, if you could see me, I'm nodding my head. I'm like yes, yes, because you touched on so many things that I. I really could not agree more with. I mean, you know, what you said about, I think there definitely is a piece and I don't know if other people felt this in their graduate program, but there is a, a, an intimidation factor when getting out of school, you're young, you're, you don't know really how to include the parents or, or what steps to take. And so I, I could not agree more with you that I remember feeling that exact same way and looking back at that time and thinking, gosh, I wish that I had done things differently knowing what I know now, because there is that intimidation piece. And, you know, honestly too, there's things where now having kids of my own, I look back and like, oh gosh, why did I do that? Like, of course, (laughs) like, I can't believe I was asking them to do that. That never, that didn't make sense. That wasn't going to work. So, you know, I, I agree with so many things that you just said. Um, but one of the things that, you know, I know that it sounds like you had been working a lot doing teletherapy with these kids already at home, but there's a lot of therapists now that are just now in a place where they were seeing these students in school and now are working with the parents as the facilitators in the home. So what are some of the things that you would recommend as the first steps what first steps should they take to make that plan to start to incorporate parents into therapy? Yeah, I think I I always kind of want to start out with a parent interview, whether whether they are just an, becoming my client initially off the bat, or if we're transitioning from a place in in the instance you just mentioned where we're going from school to now kind of in home teletherapy. Um, I think it it would be a great idea, even in those cases, to just kind of touch base about, you know, hey, this is different. Now we're at home. Even letting the parents know, I think it's awesome that we have an opportunity to really 
you know, have this, your kiddo working on these different things across all parts of the day. And so I love to find out more about what your goals are for them. And, um, for, for kiddos who are, you know, maybe they're starting out as just my clients off the bat. I want to do basically like a daily routine interview. I want families to kind of take me through every part of their day and find out what, what times are hard you know, where are communication breakdowns happening and let's jump in right there. Let's find out what's not working and then see if we can help facilitate better communication in those moments and decrease frustration for the kiddos and the families. Um, and so I think that that is a really good opportunity just to kind of start if you're transitioning from school to in-home teletherapy, I think it's kind of cool to have like a fresh start on that. Um, and of course, you're still for those therapists gearing their their goals towards academics, but um, tying the family in to it all and just kind of finding out how it's going to work for them in their daily routine. Because if you if you just kind of keep it sectioned out academically and don't kind of figure out how to incorporate it into their day, then chances are they're not gonna, they're not gonna maybe identify the, their own opportunities for that. So you might still have to kind of help guide them to that. No, and that's exactly, I, I could not agree more because it is helping them see that they're the partner this, at this time. It's like, we, this is who we are working with. You're the one at home with, this, with the, your child. And I think it's a very unique opportunity to partner with them. And just like you said, help them see what are the things that we've been working on in school that could be incorporated at home that could make your life easier and the child's as well. Uh, because you know, therapy, as we know, progress doesn't happen 30 minutes once a week with only the therapist knowing what to do and nothing being carried over. It really happens when there's that team approach. And I think having the parent who's with them all the time when we're not there is, is crucial. Yeah. And do you have any, just, you know, thing that you can think of off the top of your head, any resources for therapists who are looking at how do I include the parent more? And maybe they are feeling intimidated, any guides or resources or things that you can think of that help you to really understand that piece? Yeah, I think off the top of my head, and again, sort of early language development is probably my favorite area. So um, these are maybe kind of more geared towards that. But the Hannon program that it takes two to talk is a really great resource for not just the therapist, kind of learning skill building more about modeling and natural language modeling for kiddos, but getting the parents involved and helping them, helping explain things in a way where, like you just said, Jennifer, they understand that they are the partner in all of this. Um, and then also sort of a similar name here, but um, Laura Mize, Teach Me to Talk. Um, so it takes you to talk, teach me to talk. <laughs> they sound very similar, but um, those are different resources. And those are ones that I know helped me a lot um, early on. And then uh, I've seen a lot of um, resources come out, even just from ASHA. Like there was an article I saw in the ASHA leader called From Couching to Coaching. And that one kind of went through how to get parents involved a little bit more. And as far as just general resources, I've seen a lot on 
Teachers Pay Teachers, which of course they have so much on there. Um, but there's guides that are just sort of templates that you can share with families and they'll break things down where you sort of at the top, you know, you identify for them what skill you're working on. And then in the next box, you identify like an activity, you can choose some activity ideas for how to work on it. And then the next box is kind of a reminder about what cues and supports you can give in that moment. And so breaking things down in that way and just having that little template to be able to pass over to families for each kind of goal area that you're working on from week to week. I think that's a really simple pared down way to kind of just keep them involved, keep them focused on like, what, what are our goals here when I'm working on this activity? If I'm just playing with my kiddo, how can I take the opportunity to, to skill build? Or if it's something more particular like articulation, how can I take something that's kind of, um, for lack of a better word, we'll say tedious. I think we all know it. Articulation can be kind of tedious sometimes. Um, how can we keep it fun? And so we're still there to offer them guidance on, here's some activities that you can do that will <laughs> keep your kid from pulling their hair out while you try to encourage them to work on these skills. I love the breakdown that you're talking about of really incorporating kind of that I'm doing air quotes right now, homework throughout the week of like, what are you already doing during the week? And how can you easily practice these skill sets during those activities? And then also that reminder about the cues, I think that is one of the most foreign parts to parents because parents just want to give so many verbal cues as humans, we all do, but really educating on the cueing hierarchy and where that child is at in the cueing so it could be faded. And so that sounds like a really helpful conceptual resource, whether you're finding something on Teachers Pay Teachers or even just creating something on a Word doc could be a really easy yeah. way um, to get parents involved when you're not there. But something that's coming to mind right now is just this idea of parent burnout. And I know that especially for parents of kids who have multiple needs or complex needs that it can feel like a lot to not only attend all of the therapy sessions because they might be seeing multiple clinicians, but then also working on things during the week. How do you avoid burnout from the parents and really kind of encourage them to keep with the program. Yeah, that's a great point. And especially at this time that we're in where everything definitely, I think, feels foisted onto their shoulders. And um, I think what I want to try to do usually is keep, well, I, I want to tailor it to each family. You know, some families <laughs> parents can be super ambitious and it feels like they can, they can handle it. But yeah, I think it's easy to identify which families just need to kind of go slower. And so I think in those cases, I want to just chunk out smaller pieces. So really, really narrow down on just one specific thing, something that I'll do again, when I do that daily routines interview, we can go from there. And if I'm kind of trying to assign I'm doing air quotes too. <laughs> assign quote unquote home program. Um, I might encourage them to pick just one of those daily routines. And so if we say, okay, let's use your kiddo's speech generating device this week or these next two weeks, even just at snack time, 
So just pick that one daily routine and, you know, for the rest of the week, if you guys have other stuff going on, it's okay. We're still taking an opportunity every day to make progress. And I think that when you have that, you're, you're pointing out something specific and probably inadvertently they're, they're probably also doing a lot of what you've practiced and talked about. Hopefully it's kind of soaked into their subconscious, like a little sponge. But, um, when they sit down to do it, if we have it, a really, really small piece for them to concentrate on. Hopefully it can help prevent them from feeling like they have to turn into therapists all day, every day. Um, and the other, the other thing I try to do is I try to see if I can give, um, help giving in a, in a non-contingent way. I know that's, that it sticks out in my mind. I say it a lot. It's another thing that I picked up from Dr. Dr. Roberts, <laughs> um, non-contingent help giving, just being the concept that we sort of go through things and wait for parents and caregivers to ask us for the assistance. So it's sort of like you're waiting for them to have a little light bulb moment. And not only will, might that help them not burn out as fast, but it's also usually a more powerful moment because if they're coming to you for the help, they're just more likely to turn around and try to enact it rather than if you're, again, just foisting things on them every single session, something new, and you're just telling them, do this, do that, try this, do this. Um, if they really say, you know, he just, my kiddo, every time we have to come back in from the park, he's having just a total meltdown. What should I do there? Then you kind of jump in and talk about the communication breakdown that's happening in that moment. Yes. I feel like I'm being, I'm echoing Jennifer in her response to your last answer, but yes to everything you said. And I was <laughs> reflecting on so many different things while you were talking. And one of the biggest standout things is this idea of taking things one little step at a time. I especially remember when I was a brand new therapist and I was so eager to tackle it all and to fix everything and to really, you know, get from point A to point Z as quickly as we can to help the child. And I've tried AAC implementation just to keep with that example. Like I've tried AAC implementation that way. And then I've also, in a wiser point in my career, tried AAC implementation where we're taking such small baby steps that like for the first two weeks, their only job is to keep that device with the child at all times. And that's mm -hmm. all that's yeah. being worried about. And I've seen kind of both models of implementation, whether it be AAC or something else. And I can vouch for what you're saying that taking things one small step at a time, even though it can feel like you want to speed things up, it actually translates into such more meaningful progress and really seeing those changes and keeping that buy-in and so that you can eventually get to those bigger leaps, which are always very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like I, when you were talking just now, Alyssa, I, I thought of something else and it's just like early success, I think is really important too. And I think that's for establishing parent buy-in, especially and I think that that's so much easier to achieve if it's a small yes. piece rather than 
Yeah, of course we have this huge overarching goal, but I'm not going to try to get you there from, from point A. If we just pick out this one tiny thing and they feel successful on it, then they're going to see, oh my gosh, this therapy is so beneficial. I already see a change, even if it's just one tiny piece. It's, it's still a positive change. Yes, absolutely. And I think that as all humans, no matter what we're doing, having those tiny successes help us all. Like whether we're doing therapy or you're just doing something in our your personal life. And so that's a great point to bring up is that we're trying to have those successful moments and boosting self-esteem and having those moments of like, first of all, wow, there's change. And second of all, like, I can do this, you know, as a parent, I can do this. And also for the child, I mean, of course, we're always trying to um, produce successful trials for the child and having the child be like, I'm so smart. You know, I love when kids say that in a therapy session, like, oh yeah, I'm so smart. I know how to do this. And you're like, well, yeah, you were successful. (laughs) And so I love translating that over to the parents as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I want to touch a little bit just more on what you said, because the, the homework piece has always been, I, what I've even stopped doing is I did so much uh, home-based therapy as well through the years is that I stopped even calling it homework because I felt like, you know, to your point that just felt like one more thing on their to-do list. And if they have a child with significant needs or even not, it's almost just like, I, I'm not even going to touch it because even that word feels overwhelming. And there's been so many families, like I said, that once I had my own children, I wanted to write personal handwritten notes and take the doll. I'm so sorry. That was not even, why would I think that that was reasonable? That never would have worked. And so I agree that just having it be something that you're already doing this anyway, this isn't anything extra, but while you're already doing this, you know, for example, a mealtime, you're already sitting at, you know, having a meal, you know, they're getting frustrated when, you know, that's a time where they automatically have breakdowns on a regular basis. So, you know, they always want milk instead of just giving them the milk, say, do you want milk or water? So therefore they're getting what they want, but they are still having to request it. So just build into their, their routines, like you said, instead of making it, okay, you're going to set aside this time for homework because more than likely that won't get done. It's just one more thing that's going to be on their to-do list. Yeah, absolutely. And so talking more just a little bit about, I would love to hear your thoughts on what, when you're looking at involving parents and in wanting them to be part of the therapy and to understand the value and see the value in what it is you're doing, what are some activities that you find really are great to, to involve those parents and to, to encourage that buy-in of what you're doing in therapy? I think off the bat, I mean, again, I sound a little like a broken record, but the, the daily routines type stuff, maybe particularly for younger kiddos, right? Cause they're not those, those, it just works really smoothly with what they're already doing on a day-to-day basis. So I think, um, I mean, even just having them sit down for playtime and kind of setting that up off the bat. Hey, you know, for today, I thought maybe grab some of your kiddos' favorite toys and let's set up the the laptop in the playroom and just start there. Um, 
activities for slightly older kiddos where you're trying to get parent involvement. Um, you know, I think that building out lists, building out some time where you're contemplating, again, tying it to daily routines, like vocabulary words that are already going to occur. So sort of, sort of taking the time, I mean, hopefully not again, putting the burden on the shoulder of the families, but you're helping them along where they're brainstorming potential articulation targets throughout the daily routines. And so then every time those words come up, hopefully they have a little blinking light in their mind where maybe they're paying attention to it. So, um, okay, you guys, you know, you sit down for, for lunchtime every day. Let's see what are all the parts that go with lunch? Okay, well, we have plates and forks and spoons. Well, okay, we're working on we're working on our S blend, so why don't we target spoons? So make sure if you guys have cereal or soup or yogurt that we practice the word spoon. So kind of just identifying based on those daily routines, again, some opportunities. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I think, you know, we're always gonna do structured activities with some of those kiddos where, the target is articulation and um, families can sit down and do that stuff. But I think like you said, Jennifer, it starts to feel like homework. So as often as I can just smush it into a part of the day that's already happening. <laughs> and how do you balance Leanne when you're thinking about, you know, one of the big buzzwords right now is the coaching model. So how do you decide who is more appropriate for that face-to-face -face versus the coaching and how do you balance that out and, and teach the parents or talk to the parents about what that's going to look like? Yeah, I think that's a great question, how to decide. I think no matter what, right, we should always be involving parents. I think maybe it's more like to what extent is the better question. Um, for kiddos who have, for instance, apraxia, where you need to do some really like high intensity and frequent drills and things like that, I think that maybe is a case where you're doing a little bit more face-to-face. -face, but again, we can't just walk away from that therapy session and not have the parents know how to continue facilitating stuff throughout the week. Um, so I think off the bat, setting it up with families that you're, they're going to be involved. I mean, I'm pretty passionate about that. Like letting them know that even in every situation, it's going to be powerful to have an hour a week with the therapist, but it's going to be a hundred times more powerful to have them know how to join in on this stuff. Um, so setting, setting expectations up front, I think can be really beneficial. Um, Let's see. I lost my train of thought about that sort of, I feel like your question had a second part. Just you, how do you, the, the students, if there's one that may be more appropriate or less appropriate for that direct therapy with yourself versus one that would be more appropriate for that coaching or perhaps a, a hybrid model of the two? Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it hard to identify, um, a case where I would say, you know, that it, I wanted to be like entirely just me and the kiddo and not bring the therapist in. Um, I'm sorry, bring the parent in rather. Um, 
you know, in, in cases where, I mean, working on like AAC, of course, that's something where carryover is so important. So you're going to want to have them involved. Um, feeding therapy is another one. Obviously, they're going to do majority of their mealtimes with family, so they should be involved. Um, I, I guess like off the top, like articulation is one, right, where it it's stuff that has a lot of intricate knowledge that we've spent a lot of time learning in school. And so we don't necessarily maybe want to turn around and have to impart all that knowledge to a parent. Um, but still, still take the opportunity to kind of, like Alyssa said, go over the queuing hierarchy, help them figure out how to build in practice for the, during the day, vocabulary that comes up during the day. Um, but maybe spend the session, majority of the session time working directly with the kiddo, getting as many, you know, trials in as you can, and then maybe doing more of that hybrid model where you kind of just are looping parents in for maybe the last 10 minutes kind of showing what you practiced that day. Oh, so here's the cues that were really successful for him today. It would be great if we can try to practice that throughout the week, you know. So kind of more that hybrid model for stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I I think that the only times I've really done only a 100% coaching model or like 85, 90% is when I've had some teletherapy clients from schools who are homebound, but these um, students were minimally verbal and had a lot of difficulty sitting or attending to a computer. And so teletherapy was given because that was what was available to them, but they weren't necessarily able to productively participate. And I've actually found that in those cases, doing that high of percentage of parent coaching has actually still been so effective in that student's progress. And, you know, we model it kind of like how you're talking about even with these less complex cases of really talking through with the parents every week, okay, let's talk about the challenges that you're having and talking about ways that we can work through them. And maybe, you know, in the first few sessions that we even have a list of challenges and kind of have a plan for ourselves. Okay, for the next four weeks, these are the topics we're going to cover. So come ready with your questions or situations that we can talk about. And I think that, you know, thinking about having that much parent coaching, but still have it be so successful in the student's progress is kind of a, um, an ode to how important parent coaching is, because even when it's the only thing, it can still be very fruitful in its results of progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of really exciting success stories and progress, tell us about a time that you had really successful client progress that was due to wonderful parent involvement. Gosh, I feel like, I feel like every time, honestly, anytime a parent, um, you know, successfully uses a strategy and they're always so happy about it, right? Like same thing you said earlier where they're kind of like, I can do this. Like I did that. I helped my kid, you know, use a two word phrase versus just pointing at something. Um, so, oh gosh, it's, it's really hard to pick just one example. I mean, I can think of so many kiddos who went from, you know, limited vocalizations to phrases just in like a couple months because they weren't just practicing with me for an hour a week. Um, 
gosh, a specific case. I don't know. I feel like I feel, I mean, I feel happy that when I think of most opportunities, they've been really positive. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of a tough question. <laughs> If you could see me right now, I'm smiling so big because I'm like, oh, gosh, what a utopia world of therapy where yeah. <laughs> you got to have so much parent involvement that there's so much success that you can't even pick one. And I think that that really is the ultimate dream, you know, as a therapist to be like, I always have my parents on board and have this successful progress be like because of it. And that's such something to kind of, that's a reach and that people strive for. And so that's so wonderful to hear that through teletherapy, you've been able to have that at such a high frequency that it feels like there's too many success stories to count. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, there's definitely, there's definitely cases where, you know, establishing that buy-in is not immediate. And so I'd say that I have, there's a ton of success stories, success stories, maybe too many to choose from, but, um, I can also think of some hard cases where it wasn't an immediate, uh, immediate success maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, especially in these times you mentioned with COVID, you know, and everyone being home and there's a lot of other stressors that are maybe amplified right now that sometimes when parents do have, you know, a higher level of stressors, whether it be financial or job or, you know, being a caretaker for many people that that buy-in can be more challenging to, to get. Yeah. And so Leanne, that's, I mean, that's, speaks highly to you as a therapist that you have had so much success. And I think that's incredible. And I hope that's what we aim for. We want to have those experiences, but, you know, like Alyssa was saying, you know, with there's this pandemic and not only the pandemic, but even just in any other parents that this is much easier to get started with. It's, it's, you know, very seamless. And then there's going to be others where it feels like there are more challenges and it's harder to get it up and running. So what can you share with us? What are some things that you found through your experience that, if a parent seems hesitant to get involved or doesn't want to, or you're having a hard time getting them to understand the value of this, what are some things that you've done to, to work with them and to help improve that relationship? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think off the bat, like just set, trying to begin to plant seeds into their I always, I always use this analogy, um, plant some thought seeds into their brain garden about, about it from, from the get go. Um, and like we said, if it's sort of a moment, if you're switching from another service delivery model to telepractice, where you maybe have the opportunity for it, I think that can kind of, like we said, present an added challenge where they already had maybe a set expectation and it's kind of being switched. Um, so I think really early because I think it's harder if you get started and you don't talk about it up front and then like part way through you start to try to like pull them in more and more because you've sort of already set up an expectation potentially where they don't need to be involved. Um 
but in the case, maybe that that's what's going on for some therapists. Um, I think if you can sort of more and more just try to, you know, and if it's with an older kiddo, maybe you're working independently with them. Um, maybe if the parent pops on in the beginning of the call to get them set up and then tries to walk away, you know, like kind of throwing it out there, like, oh, hey, I would, I'd love to touch base for the last 10 minutes so that we can show you what we work on today. Would that be okay? And sort of just sort of, again, like slowly eking it in. Um, and I think it's okay to build up rather than again, need to like hit the, hit the floor, like zero to 100. Um, I think it's okay if you need to build up. And so, um, more and more kind of looping them in maybe at the beginning of the session, end of the session. So maybe you're just building it up from a time perspective to, um, start with five minutes, then 10 minutes then 15 minutes, um, where they just are getting more and more involved. I think that early success is important. Like we said, so giving, providing just like a small chunk and then asking about it the next session. So, Oh, did you guys try that out over the week? And, you know, hopefully they tried it at least once, or, um, even if they didn't, if you can kind of find some kind of positive reinforcement to point out to them during the next session, like I noticed that they were doing this so much better. Did you guys practice that over the week? And, um, so, so again, providing the positive reinforcement and kind of really pointing out to them when it's impactful, not just kind of letting those moments slide by and say, Oh, thanks for practicing. Really saying, look what, look what this potentially reaped. Um, look at the growth that we established. No, I think that is, you know, two things you said that I, again, I'm also a broken record here. Could not agree with you more is that, you know, setting those establishing what this is going to look like from the very beginning is key and so that everybody, I always say there's going to be hiccups, there'll always be hiccups, but that will, there will be less. So just establishing what that's going to look like. And then, you know, I love what you said as well is that pointing out to them in a very organic way of, oh, wow, I noticed this. Did you see when, when I said this, this happened? It's obvious that you all have been working on it so that they do see that, oh, it's, it's, it's not, we're not wasting our time. The things that we're doing are effective and I'm helping, you know, make a difference accountability and parent buy-in. So I think that's, I love those, those two sentiments. Mm -hmm. So Leanne, this has been so helpful. I feel like anybody listening, whether they've been doing teletherapy or just now going to be starting working with parents, you know, as, as your partners, this has been so helpful and informative and we are so grateful for your insight and all of your expertise in this area. Thank you so much. I love having the opportunity to talk about it and um, be any help that I can be and share resources. I love I love talking about the field. So <laughs> any if anyone wants to call me up and talk, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, and there'll be information about you in our in the podcast bio, so that if anybody does, and and again, I think you're just such a wonderful resource. Yes, thank you for talking with us. I feel like us SLPs got to stick together during this time. And I love that as a community, we can come together and really talk about some of these bigger issues that people are trying to develop their skill sets in and work on. And so thank you for all of your wise words. Yeah, of course. 
And if you'd like to get in touch with us at the podcast, send us an email at SLP full disclosure at gowithadvanced.com. And each episode's show notes are available at the website, gowithadvanced.com backslash SLP full disclosure. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to get the latest updates. And if you want to give us a little shout out, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the word. Also, special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Advanced Travel Therapy. See you next time. Mm-hmm.